and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by, by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word to us this evening. At the end of our time together tonight, you'll notice in your bulletin that we're going to be singing the beautiful hymn, Silent Nights. It's a hymn that is part of popular culture. People who've never set foot in a church in their life are familiar with Silent Night. It's a beautiful Christmas carol. It has kind of a lullaby sound to it, and it makes you feel as if all is calm and all is bright as you sing this song And it leads you to believe that there's something about Christmas that's actually peaceful. And the reality, though, is that that's not always our experience, is it? Many of you may have driven here tonight with family in tow, and you were sitting in the car and your kids began to fight. You wanted to give them a just nice joy-to-the-world smacking as they were on your way to church tonight. You... We'll probably go home and there's a possibility that you and your husband or you and your wife will get into some kind of bickering about all of the details of tomorrow. You'll wake up in the morning, it'll be Christmas Day, and there'll be the chaos of Christmas Day, having to be together with family. It could be a Griswold experience for you. It could be an experience where you're with family that you haven't seen in a while and you prefer not to see for a very long while. You never know what Christmas is going to be like. All of the dynamics of family and life and Christmas and the stress of life seem to pile upon us on December 24th and December 25th of this particular year. And then you look around at the world and you see so much calamity, so much that makes you believe that the world is not at peace. You see international and domestic conflict. You were told that the recession was over, but that doesn't seem to have hit many of you. And life just gets chaotic. It's not peaceful. And you see an incongruity between your life and the message that Christmas is supposed to be all about, which is about peace. But I think it's important to remember this. The message of Christmas is not that Christ has come merely to bring peace in our circumstances. We don't have that promise to us as we read God's Word, that our circumstances are just going to be tidings of comfort and joy. That's not necessarily the case. The message of Christmas is this. It's that Jesus has come to do what the Apostle Paul said that he had come to do in Ephesians chapter 2, which is to come to break down the dividing wall of hostility that exists between us and him and establish peace. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to remove the alienation, the broken relationship, the natural hostility that exists between us and him, and he has come to mend that fence. That's the great message of Christmas, and it's the peace that he has come to bring about for his people. And that's why the birth of Christ is so beautiful. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we celebrate the birth of the newborn king, because it is the dawn of redeeming grace, as we're going to sing in the last stanza of that great carol, Silent Night. 
around the time that Jesus was born, the people of God could look back upon their corporate history and they would see prophets and priests and kings whose job was to point the people to God. Many of them did a good job. They were faithful at that. Others of them were colossal failures. But even the best of them fell short of the glory of God. Even the best of them failed to some degree. And you get to the end of the Old Testament and you kind of get the feeling that it's a tie at best. And perhaps things are going to be hopeless. But then Jesus Christ is born. And He's come. And He's come to bring joy. And He's come to bring peace. And the reason why He has come is to fulfill that great promise that He gave to His people. That He would take people who were far off and bring them near, bring them into His family, adopt them as His children. And He would save them from our sin. And He would save us from our sin by sending him His own self to do it. That He would come an embodied form and He would bear the curse, bear the weight of sin, of your sin and my sin, all upon Himself. Take that wrath in order to give us joy, to give us peace, to reconcile us to God. And now that Christ the Savior is born, that time has come to pass. I think that one of the easiest things for us to do in a day and age where there are so many different religions and so many ideologies living side by side and where we have to learn how to be good neighbors and friendly to one another is to imbibe the mentality that as long as people do the right thing, as long as they try to at least do the right thing, and as long as they're sincere about what they believe, that everything's going to work out just fine for them in the end. But the birth of Jesus Christ tells us that that's not the case. See, the reason why Jesus had to come was to serve as our exclusive Savior, as the one who would exclusively save His people from their sins. And our lack of conformity to God, our natural rebellion, our natural indifference to Him, is the thing that builds that wall of hostility, that destroys peace that should have existed between us and Him. And it creates hostility because we violated His holiness in every way. You know, we live in a culture that bombards us with messages all the time that we deserve this or we deserve that. We always deserve all these things. But the Bible tells us that there's one thing and one thing only that we deserve apart from Christ. And that's His justice. It's condemnation. It's His wrath. It's complete, eternal hopelessness. But the story doesn't end there. Because we get good news. And the good news and the hope of Christmas is that His wrath against us is not the end of the story. Because when we look back no more than three chapters into the Bible, in Genesis 3.15, we discover that God made a promise to His people. He made a promise to Adam and Eve. And He promised that He would deliver Satan a crushing blow through a Savior who would be born of a woman. It was a promise that all of God's people in all places, in all times, would finally be delivered from the snare of the evil one and that they would be brought into His perfect peace. That's the promise that everybody who knows Jesus Christ has. But the question is this, what makes Jesus so uniquely qualified to be that person? What makes Him more qualified than Muhammad 
or Moses or you or me or anybody else to deliver us from sin. So much of that reason is because of the virgin birth. It's because Jesus is who Isaiah prophesied Him to be in Isaiah chapter 7, in that passage that we read just a little while ago, that God is with us. See, there have been plenty of people over the course of history that have made messianic claims. They've claimed to be a Messiah. But what sets Jesus apart from all of those people who have made those claims is that Jesus is actually God with us. You'll notice after this message tonight, we're going to affirm the Apostles' Creed. Christians of every stripe who can't agree with each other that the sun is going to come up in the morning can affirm this. They've been affirming it for about 1,800 years now. And we're going to recite a very important line in that creed, which says this, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The fact that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin means that Jesus had no inherent nature to bring offense to his Father. He had no nature to sin. If Jesus would have been conceived in the old-fashioned way, with some male being involved in that, he would have been born with a nature that is inclined away from God, away from his Father, inclined towards rebellion, inclined towards indifference towards his Father. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. And it shows that in many respects he is not like us, because he doesn't have that natural bent away from his Father. He lived perfectly obedient to him in every way. In every way in which we failed, he lived obediently. And it shows that he is wholly different than us in that regard. But in another regard, he is just like us. He came and was born to a woman. He had a real body. He had real human needs. It was another carol that we sang just a little while ago, Away in a Manger. But you'll notice there's probably a line in there that's familiar to you that says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We didn't sing that line. The reason why we didn't sing that line is because no doubt Jesus did make a lot of crying. Jesus needed to be changed. He needed to be fed. He needed to be cared for. He needed to learn how to do life as he grew up through childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. In his human nature, he was just like us. He was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. Just as we have been tempted, but he was without sin. He felt pain. He laughed. He cried. He had the time and space limitations that every single human being has. And this is something, my friends, that no other religion and no other ideology has to offer. And that is why Jesus, as opposed to the gods of all the other religions, as opposed to our self-manufactured sources of hope, as opposed to even our own native strength, that's why Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. Because as a human being, He was successful for us. We have failed God. Each one of us here. 
in more ways than we will ever begin to imagine. But Jesus was successful for us. He has been in our shoes. He's been faithful where we've been disobedient and unfaithful and indifferent. And he has obeyed for us. And this little boy, this little baby, who was born to a betrothed teenage mother who was a nobody and who was born in no significant place, would grow to be the man and to be the God who would bear the sin of his people in his own body and die on the cross. He would take upon himself the unmitigated wrath of the Father that you and I deserve, and he would take it upon himself. Friends, I don't want you to miss that. If you've been in the church a long time, you've heard that message. That's not something that's new to you. But don't miss that. Because the beauty of Christmas is that He has come to take the blame. And He bears our punishment. And because He is God, death and hell are no match for Him. And because if we have received Him through faith alone, death and hell are now no match for us either. He would conquer that. He would conquer all condemnation and He would show it by virtue of His resurrection. And you know what that means for you? What the cash value of all of this is for you? It means that if you know Him, you've been forgiven of your rebellion and your, and your indifference from God. And not only that, you've been given His perfection. He takes your blame and you get all the credit that he deserves. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he was born. Your sin is exchanged for his righteousness, and you have the promise of peace with God. And that is why Christmas, it's why the birth of Jesus Christ is the dawn of redeeming grace. It is embodied, personified love. It is love's pure light, streaming as radiant beams from his holy face. And just as he came in the flesh to be God with us, you know what happens when you get to the end of Matthew's gospel? The very last words that you see there? You see that he says that I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, Jesus never leaves or forsakes his people. He never leaves us alone. He's sent his spirit and that enables you even in the midst of this life which is so chaotic, and even in the midst of a life where you may be experiencing the deepest possible pain that you can imagine, it allows you to know the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so you know what you do with that? You do what our opening carol called us to do, to come let us adore him. We respond to that grace, to that Jesus with a humbled heart because he gave himself for obstinate people like you and me. We respond to him with a receptive heart because he has given saving grace to anybody who will believe in him. And we respond to him with a faithful heart because joy comes to us as we make it our goal to please him. So friends, I want to challenge you with this. As you go home tonight and enjoy Christmas with your families tonight and tomorrow, I want us to remember Him and to give thanks for Him for the true miracle and heavenly peace that Jesus promises to everybody who would believe in Him. Let's think about that now as we come to Him in prayer.
Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to be just like us in so many respects. There is nothing that we have faced that he has not faced for us. There is no area of failure, of sin, of depravity in our life that he has not atoned for. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We thank you that we have that promise in the gospel for all who believe, who all will bow the knee to him. We thank you that you've given us the promise that whoever comes to you, you will not cast out. And so we pray tonight, whether we are here as believers or here as people who do not yet believe, we pray that you would let your light shine upon us because you are the light of the world. Help us to see you and love you and worship you only. We ask this all in the name of him who came such a distance for us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.